This is VOCM News Talk. Call 709-273-5211 or 1-888-590-8626. The views and opinions of this program are not necessarily those of this station. Here's VOCM News Talk host Linda Swain. Well, good afternoon, everyone, on this uh, crisp and uh, bright, what is it, Wednesday afternoon. I keep losing track. Because we had a day off on Monday, we meaning us here in the building, um, so it's sort of shifted everything. But uh, how you doing there, sicko? <laughs> <laughs> Only you can get away with calling me that. <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm just you know short spurts of chatting, I guess. Oh, I I'll hear you. Okay, right? But I was I was listening to you doing did the. You, did you feel that I could be operating a certain kind of a phone line? <laughs> You know what? You know, most people think, you know, having a cold is uh, uh, an inconvenience, and it is. But uh, in our business, it's like, hey, I sound great today. (laughs) Can we clone this voice? (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I I feel you. Just getting over it myself. And um, a couple people in the newsroom have it, and I was talking to some people in the hallway have it. So, uh, yeah, it's making its rounds. And um, I asked listeners for some home remedy ideas, and boy, there were some really different ones coming in that I haven't heard like wrapping your feet with um, well before you put the saran wrap on and I think white socks that color um, you have to cut up potatoes and put it in and it draws out the toxins overnight when you sleep and so the potatoes should be black in the morning oh there's some wild ones that I can't I gotta still go through some of them you, what, it's, uh, yeah I know hang back, on. back the truck up right so yes. you peel a potato you peel a potato you chop it into slices uh-huh. and, you and you put, put that in your socks of your, yes and then you, but I think you're supposed to wrap wrap it first in saran wrap and it draws out the toxins that's according to one vocm listener i know wild really wild things that people are doing that i find really interesting i might try the potato thing tonight you know what there's something about it feels like it might work i know I'll be really ticked if the potatoes aren't black in the morning. (laughs) Um, I know someone, I I remember being really sick. This is a long Mm -hmm. time ago now. And uh, someone's mom gave me a hot toddy. Oh, another listener said that. Yeah. And I have to be honest with you. Like, I drank it. I was like, this is disgusting. Oh, my gosh. I drank it. And within 15 minutes, I sweat out. Like, I soaked the sheets and everything. And I was better. Really? It was unbelievable. I would never have believed it if I hadn't experienced it myself. Now, apparently it's some sort of whiskey and sugar or something is what one of the listeners said today. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Yeah, what the concoction is. Um, Boiling water, whiskey, and sugar, I think. And yeah, but it's some kind of an alcohol, whiskey probably, Mm -hmm. or rum, or I'm not sure what. And like you say, sugar sort of to take off that harshness, Mm -hmm. I suppose. And uh, you gulp that down. And apparently it works. Well, it worked for me on that particular day. Whatever I had wrong with me, I had a fever. I was miserable. I couldn't get out of the bed. I was a mess. And uh, my friend's mom said, I know. (laughs) Guzzle this down now. And uh, I did. And like I said, within a short period of time, I was fine. Amazing. That a lot of people swear by that. Yeah. Now, uh, in those... Uh, ensuing years, I have not been able to replicate that recipe. Oh, for myself, right? Well, so I should give her a call. 
and you can definitely call the show. <laughs> we don't want to bombard the show with recipes for hot toddies. No, but uh, still on the theme of healthcare. Oh, the lines are already ringing, but we're going to go to this piece first, and we'll see what uh, others have to say. Uh, still on the whole uh, topic of healthcare, enhanced cardiac and stroke care uh, is being expanded across the province in a move that cardiologist Dr. Sean Connors calls transformative. You've heard this in VOCM News. The improvements include EVT, that's a procedure to remove stroke-causing blood clots from eligible patients, increase use of blood clot uh, cl- uh, clot-busting drugs, sorry, uh, to meet national standards, and the expanded use of virtual heart failure management. Dr. Connors, who was part of today's announcement, says the initiatives are making a difference. I'm on the ward every single day. I see the people coming out of the operating room. I answer the telephone when people are at home waiting. The the positive impacts that these changes have made are real and they're felt. Well, that's what Dr. Sean Connors had to say. But what exactly was announced? Well, here's Minister Tom Osborne. February is Heart Month. And today we have some interesting news to provide about how care for heart patients has improved and how people will get the care they need in the future. One of the challenges we face when we provide these updates is being able to take the medical terminology and explain it in a way where you don't need a medical degree to understand it. So we will attempt our best. Uh, This first of three updates today is the expansion of endovascular thrombectomy, also known as EBT. First introduced in the province in 2022, EBT is a highly specialized surgical procedure where stroke-causing blood clots are removed from patients who are clinically eligible. An early evaluation of EBT has shown that it has led to an approximate 50% reduction in the patient's length of stay in hospitals compared to patients who had not received it. This means patients who receive EBT have better outcomes and their hospital beds become available for somebody else sooner. Because of all of this, NL Health Services expanded its use and we anticipate reaching more people this year. Second part of our update is that access to clot-busting drugs for ischemic stroke treatment, also known as thrombolytics, has increased. These drugs should be given within uh, four and a half hours after stroke symptoms start, and their use has increased from 10% in 2018 to approximately 20% in 2023, which is the national standard. More people are receiving these drugs, and this means that they are having better outcomes. This is very exciting because more people are going home to live with their loved ones and in their communities. The third part of our update is the increased use of virtual heart failure management. It's crucial that patients get the care they need as soon as possible and patients in virtual heart failure management can become stable on their medications in only nine weeks through virtual appointments compared to the six to 12 months that it can take through in-person appointments. 
These virtual heart failure management visits increased from 9.9% of the total in 2022 to 26.5% of the total visits in 2023. Building on the outcomes we've seen through these treatments, we plan to reach more people this year and beyond by expanding access to EBT across the province, starting in the central zone in the first half of this year. Continuing to promote public education about the need to recognize the signs of stroke, which includes fast or face, arm, speech, and time, offered through the Heart and Stroke Foundation. Implementing satellite cardiology clinics where a cardi cardiologist will visit patients who do not have a cardiologist in their area. An ongoing planning for the new Cardiovascular Stroke Institute facility. This of course is in addition to the other actions that we've put in place, including our cardiac cath flights, also known as Heart Force One, which fly people from other regions of the province to St. John's to get their procedure they need sooner than expected. Heart Force One has continued its success with 16 flights so far carrying 118 patients from Western and uh, Lab Grenfell zones in the province. And I understand from Dr. Connors, we've just started in Central. So this resulted in 428 days worth of beds being freed up at the Health Sciences Center for other patients, plus more beds available at other hospitals across the province. In the last number of months, we've announced a partnership with the March of Dimes After Stroke Program, which improves the transition from hospital to home for stroke survivors by providing them and their families and caregivers a personalized recovery plan, emotional support, and education. Access to resources and services in their community and hospital visitation with trained peer supports that have lived experience. So we're excited about this news today. You'll remember that there were some questions about the use of virtual care when we announced it in November. I think Dr. Parfrey took a little bit of a ribbing at the time. I did. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, let's be clear that virtual care is not replacing on-the-ground physicians and staff. Virtual care does, in fact, complement and improve our system, and it's used so that people can access primary and specialty care in communities faster when it is appropriate to do so. So that's some of what um, Tom Osborne, Health Minister, had to say this uh, earlier today regarding uh, some uh, changes to the uh, cardiac and stroke care uh, across the province. They're expanding um, some enhanced uh, programming across the province. Um, and off the top, we were talking about um, colds and cold remedies and um, uh, uh, yeah, Claudette has things. been taking things all day. So. <laughs> yeah. Hot toddy seem to be a very popular one. Yeah, and I understand that the caller on line one has some advice on hot toddies. Hello. Uh, hello. Hi. Uh, good day, Linda. How are you? 
Oh, I've seen it a lot worse than this, my darling. <laughs> Very good. So I understand you have some advice on cold remedies? Well, um, I know you were asking earlier if it was uh, feed a fever and starve a cold or... But from my recollection from growing up uh, down in the harbor, it, it is feed a fever and starve a cold. Now, you know, I could be 50% right and I could be 50% wrong on that one. <laughs> well, those are, you know, as good odds as you can expect. Hey, boy, under the circumstances. Now, the uh, hot homemade soup, that's a great idea for uh, the common cold. And then you got your uh, goose grease. Uh, you rub it on your front and back chest before you go to bed and dress up warm. And then you got your Vicks rubbed on your chest and your back before you go to bed. That works also. And there's the old Monner's liniment mixed up on a spoon with a bit of Vicks, right? So that works also. But if none of them work, well, I guess you'll have to go to the HT cure. This is the hot toddy cure. Right on. And have you tried that? Oh, I growed up on that. I know uh, I growing up down in the down in the harbor when I started feeling sick. You know, man, man, nanny on to sit down to the table and say, "You sit your ass down there and drink this, right?" Because uh, you know, you asked her what it is, and, and she never mind what it is. Just drink it, and, you know, because. You got to get rid of that coal because the rest of us can't get that coal. There's just too much work and uh, too many things to be done, mouths to be fed, and you know, food to be taken, wood to be cut, and all that stuff, right? Yeah, people didn't have the uh, luxury of being off sick uh, one time. So, uh, you know, what kind of recipe did she use, or do you know? Oh, I'm, well, I was only a boy when she first gave it to me. So, like, uh, I know, like, she'd usually give it to you in the evening after supper when it get dark, you know, with the old plants uh, uh, and that going. And, and then, you know, an hour or two after you drink it, you didn't know what it was as a boy. She wouldn't tell you. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you feel a little bit drowsy and you wind a bit. So I remember waking up, like, or not waking up, but, like, sweating like the son of a sailor, you know, who fished tired all morning, worked in the garden all afternoon, and cutting wood all evening. You just sweat, right? So anyway, the next morning you'd wake up, you'd shake the sweat off yourself, you know, and and uh, as the day going on, you'd jump and gee whiz, boy, like, like oh, I feel as right as rain. <laughs> so... You know, you come down over stairs in the morning, boy, man, you say, who's that? Like, what, what was that you gave me, right, last night? Yeah, you know? And she just looked at you with that silly laugh and crazy laugh she had that we all loved. She nodded her head and she say, well, that's the hot toddy cure. You know, my mom taught me 110 years ago. <laughs> Yeah, amazing stuff. It, uh, uh, you know, I I only had it once in my life, and I have to say it worked for whatever uh, was going on with me at the time. So depending on your age, like if you're a bit older, in your late teens or 20, you can, if you can take one shot of uh, whiskey, and it has to be whiskey, and one, sh- one spoonful of sugar, but if you're, and then fill it up with a hot water, but if you're older and got a real bad cold, 
um, you know, then there's two shots of uh, whiskey and two spoonfuls of sugar. And get it down as fast as you can, put your warm clothes on and get to bed. Well, um, this has been one of the more entertaining um, uh, moments in my radio career. So I really appreciate (laughs) you giving us a call. You're a fabulous storyteller. Thanks so much. But now, uh, one, can I leave you with one fact? Very quickly, because we have to go to break. There are no common calls anymore. Because with the healthcare system, or the, I should say, no care system, like the, the crazy COVID, the respiratory diseases, all the other diseases and economic and social problems and health problems we got, there just isn't uh, a common cold anymore because, you know, we've created so many problems in this world that uh, we're just to 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 shagged (laughs) (laughs) all right well caller i do appreciate your time thank you very much okay you have a great one you too bye-bye all the best to you and yours all right same to you and uh yeah that was uh, nanny heinz cure and he said work for him uh i when we come back more on health care uh we'll get a little update from the health minister on recruitment efforts in the province this is news talk on vocm stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your vocm join linda swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you News Talk on your VOCM. And we're back. Well, we heard from uh, Health Minister Tom Osborne at the top of the uh, uh, show uh, outlining some of these uh, changes to cardiac care in the province and the enhancements that they're um, expanding across the province. Well, he also provided an update on physician recruitment in Newfoundland and Labrador. So here's some of what he had to say in a health care update today. And before... I jump into the topic today, I would like to provide an update about physicians licensed to practice in Newfoundland and Labrador, as well as nurses licensed to practice in Newfoundland and Labrador. In 2023, more than, uh, more physicians were licensed to practice in this province than in 2022. This trend has continued. In dialogue with the College of Physicians and Surgeons, we understand that in 2024, more physicians are renewing their licenses compared to this period in 2023. In Newfoundland and Labrador, 46 more physicians, or 11 family physicians and 35 specialists, were licensed in 2023 for a total of 1,607. When combined with physicians registered via the Atlantic Registry, which allows for greater mobility and flexibility for fully licensed physicians to practice anywhere in Atlantic Canada, this number increased to 201 more registered physicians. This means that more physicians are available to provide in-person or virtual care in Newfoundland and Labrador. So what this means is that there are more physicians licensed to practice, There are more physicians in Atlantic Canada who can practice in the province. And both of these help increase access for Newfoundlanders and Labradorians to care. These are steps in the right direction. These steps show that our recruitment plan is working. Recently, I've been telling you that we've recruited more than 70 physicians to work in Newfoundland and Labrador since April. 
It's exciting to be able to share with you today that we've recruited more than 80 physicians to work in the province since the beginning of the fiscal year. Months ago, we had recruited more than 40, uh, sorry, 400 nurses in that same time frame. And that's now more than 450 registered nurses. With new graduating classes this spring and job offers made to upcoming graduates, we anticipate that number rising even further. Our incentives in this province are amongst the best in the country. It shows that we are competitive in a global competition. For example, a family physician can receive up to $450,000 in initiatives to practice in our province. Extra physician recruitment resources have been added at NL Health Services. Physician recruiters are located in the medical schools three days a week for direct engagement with medical learners and residents. Amendments were made to the Medical Act to add new categories of registration, associate registration and clinical assistant registration. The medical regulations also create fast-track pathways for internationally trained practitioners who are trained and licensed in select countries. We've also been working with the College of Registered Nurses and practical nurses to make it easier for licensure and to find ways to make it easier for internationally educated nurses including uh, bridging for IENs who had been living in the province. Our come home incentives have in, um, resulted in the recruitment of a number of different health disciplines. It is the most successful recruitment initiative that we've seen in the province. So that's Health Minister Tom Osborne outlining some of, um, uh, well, providing an update, I should say, on uh, physician recruitment in Newfoundland and Labrador. Well, coming up, there are fears that gas deliveries on Bell Island might be halted. We'll get an update from the newly sworn in MHA for the district, Fred Hutton, when we come back right after this. Nutrition, exercise, keeping the cold at bay. Whatever keeps you feeling great, the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM. And we are back. Well, there are some serious questions and concerns uh, circulating on Bell Island. Uh, surrounding that uh, the, the possibility that Irving may no longer provide fuel deliveries to the community. King's Irving gas station is the sole operator on the island, was forced to shut down operations late last week. MHA Fred Hutton, only sworn into the role in the House of Assembly this morning, joins me now. Hello. Hi, Linda. How are you? Good. Congratulations. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. You barely had an opportunity to put your boots on and they're already on the ground running. Yeah, well, we, we kind of started working uh, the, the day after the uh, election uh, was finalized. But uh, today was, yeah, literally I went upstairs after being sworn in and we're still making some calls to try to, to sort out this situation. And thankfully, 
uh, Irving did call back this afternoon. They called the King family and they called me to inform us that uh, they will be delivering fuel again tomorrow to Bell Island. Um, they're making the arrangements uh, through the uh, through the mayor and the and the town office, and so it's it's a relief. It's a relief to people over there who uh, many of them have been contacting me, and it's also a relief to uh, to Norman King and the King family um, who've run that business for 38 years and are very proud of it. They want to continue to offer that service and they they will be able to do it as a result of this resolution that's been reached with the family. So what's the uh, situation in there and is this a long-term solution? I'm not sure exactly, but I, I, I know it's for now. They're, they're, uh, it is a short-term solution, and they're going to continue to work with the King family. Um, many people know Norman King. Obviously, Bell Island is a small place. Everyone knows everyone, and they know that he's had some health issues recently. Um, I met with the family yesterday uh, with Mr. King and two of his sons, um, and, you know, they're obviously Mr. King's very passionate about this. It's a business that he's poured his life into, um, and his wife uh, passed away recently. Recently, she also was a big part of that operation. So it's been a difficult time for them. He's facing some health issues. And as a result, um, obviously, there's some operational issues between Kings Irving and Irving, which provides the gasoline. Uh, I'll let them discuss that or work that out. But in the meantime, you know, primarily our, our concern was with the, um, the, the, the ability to provide gasoline to residents of Bell Island, not only that, but to emergency vehicles. So I, I found out about this on Friday night, uh, that there may be an issue. I was chatting with the mayor. He called me. And then on Saturday, it was confirmed that uh, Kings Irving had to close temporarily because they were, they were out of gas. But what they did do, what the King family made sure was that, and, and we did as well, that the fire trucks, the ambulances, the police cruisers, and as you recall, may recall on sunday we were expecting bad weather the plows and uh town trucks needed to be filled up so that they could you know clear roads for emergency vehicles and for people to get around um which we did and made sure that all those provisions were made and the king family you know contacted the town to make sure that if any trucks needed to be filled they were um that was all covered and then, of course, we got into Monday and we continued to go back and forth between the family and Irving. Uh, and today, basically what I did was call the headquarters in New Brunswick of Irving to try to speak to somebody there about the situation, plead the case for the Kings. And within a few hours, we got a call back to say that the family and Irving had uh, reached an, an agreement to, to deliver oil tomorrow. And they'll continue to work out whatever ongoing issue they have as they as they proceed. But the, the good news is, is that Tomorrow, the station should be open sometime in the afternoon once once the gas is delivered. So you've hit the ground running. What other issues are uh, facing the district? We just got to make sure that that ferry keeps running. Um, and, and the weather hasn't been really cooperative over the last little while. Obviously, we've had storms. I'm sitting uh, in a parking lot now, and I can't even see the, the, the snow bank in front of me is, uh, you know, twice as high as the car. Um, and obviously, we've had a lot of wind. There's more weather coming tomorrow, which, you know, sort of heightened concerns of people who some people, not everybody leaves Bell Island to work. Some work on the island and need to get around over there. Uh, they need snow blowers. They need their or if, if they have plows on it, uh, just for getting around, and generators, they need gas. So it's very important. The, the, the ferry is, is, is really the, uh, the key to all of 
the situation on Belle Island and, and the ability for people to get back and forth, not just in winter, but year round. You know, and even in the summertime, we can have stormy weather or mechanical issues. There's so much potential there, though, and I've spent a fair bit of time over there uh, speaking with a lot of the residents who are really passionate about and invested in making sure that Belle Island, um, you know, which played a huge role in our past, plays a huge role in our future as well and the tourism opportunities over there are really limitless um and it just takes a little bit of extra push which we're which we're you know we're we're trying hard fred hutton uh, i do appreciate you um giving us this update uh, and keep us up to date on the situation will you i will indeed and thanks very much linda appreciate it thank you and uh, congratulations Thanks again. I appreciate it. Alrighty. Bye-bye. That's uh, the uh, newly sworn-in MHA for Conception Bay East, Bell Island, addressing the uh, concerns that have been raised about uh, oil and gas deliveries on Bell Island uh, with the, the situation now facing King's Irving Gas Station. So uh, we thank him for that, and we, uh, we hope that uh, something can be resolved there uh, for the uh, residents on the island. Well, when we come back, federal Federal Minister Goody Hutchings makes a tourism announcement as Hospitality Newfoundland and Labrador hosts its annual conference. This is News Talk on VOCM. Get lost in the music of legendary artists like Elton John, The Beatles, and more. Join Claudette Barnes every Sunday from 12 to 1 p.m. and relive fond memories through the power of music with Sunday Melodies on your VOCM. And we are back. Well, the federal minister responsible for ACOA has announced $30 million in funding to help boost tourism the tourism industry in Atlantic Canada. The announcement was timed to coincide with the Hospitality Newfoundland and Labrador Conference now underway at the Delta Hotel in St. John's. Here's some of what Minister Goody Hutchings, who worked in the hospitality industry prior to her life in public service, had to say in an announcement this morning at Kitty Vitty. This is truly one of the jewels in the tourism crown. Uh, visitors love to pop in here and explore scenic Kitty Vitty Village, and as some of us refer to it, the, the got. Um, and they, they get to see the talent that we have here. And this is just representative of the talent we have all throughout the province. But I think it sows the seed for people that walk in the door here the first time. Wow, we have some incredible people here. And I must say, this was one of the first places I visited, right, when I became Minister of ACOA, because I'm proud of the work that ACOA does in supporting great facilities like this. So it's fitting to return back here today to um, bring even more, with news to bring even more visitors here to experience this unforgettable part of the country. Yes, Atlantic Canada, but especially here. So like many of you, I spent a lot of my career in the tourism sector. And for those of you who haven't, I'm going to tell you, the visitor economy changes you forever and changes you for the better because it makes you think outside the box. It makes you change. It makes you realize the huge potential that we have in Atlantic Canada. And even though I stepped away from the private sector to my career that I thoroughly enjoy, I can tell you that tourism always stays near and dear to my heart. 
So it's economic lifeblood for so many small and rural communities, and it's economic blood for many places in Atlanta, Canada. And events like H&L and the people in this room today are certainly proof of that. So the past July, I met with my cabinet colleagues and the Atlantic premiers to move forward the Atlantic growth strategy. The group discussed how the federal government and the Atlantic provinces can work together to ensure stable and long-term economic growth for our area. And I can tell you, friends, that tourism was a major focus in our discussions. So when we talk about growing the economy and building on our region's momentum, it's so important to assure that our different levels of government are talking and, more importantly, working together. And that is so true for the visitor economy as it is for any sector of the economy. And one of the outcomes I'm most proud of from the meetings was our shared commitment to renew the ACAT, which is the Atlantic-Canada Agreement on Tourism. So this trailblazing partnership will help position Atlantic Canada as a must-visit destination, not only for Canadians, but for visitors around the world. It's a model we can be proud of, and it's one that I can tell you other regions of Canada look to as an example of what can be accomplished when government and industry have a united vision for the tourism sector. So, friends, that's why I'm pleased to announce today that all parties have signed the $30 million four-year agreement on the Atlantic Canada Agreement on Tourism, or ACAT. That's going to make a huge difference. The ACAT investments are focused on develop developing innovative marketing initiatives, expanding year-round tourism, expanding the sh those seasons, encouraging visitors to explore more of Atlantic Canada, and the important part, increasing revenues for operators by promoting higher-yield tourism experiences. And it's not happening in isolation. I'm happy to be here with my friend and colleague, Soraya Martinez-Ferrata. And as Canada's tourism minister, she is a champion, I can tell you, my friends, for tourism operators and business operators from coast to coast to coast. She spearheaded the work of our new federal tourism growth strategy, which is going to help us unleash the potential that the visitor economy can do to grow our economy and help create jobs in all regions of Canada. Do we have work to do? Sure we do, but we can do it, I can tell you. We employ 10% of the industry, we contribute 3% to the GDP. I know Sarai and working with all our partners, we're going to grow that 3% GDP. So as part of the strategy that uh, Sarai is, is championing, our government launched the new $108 million tourism growth program. And here in Atlantic Canada, that means $10.6 million will be invested to help operators develop that next generation of unforgettable tourism experiences. The message we're sending is crystal clear, my friends. We're in your corner. We'll continue to work with you to build an even higher future and brighter future for tourism. So that's uh, MP Goody Hutchings making an announcement this morning in Kitty Vitty Village. Uh, $30 million in funding to help boost the tourism industry in Atlantic Canada. Well, whether the FFAW will have to pay the Association of Seafood Producers damages has yet to be determined according to an arbitrator's decision made after ASP filed a grievance against the union following last year's tie-up during the crab fishing season. The arbitrator will determine whether there are damages owing to ASP due to breaches of the Fisheries Industry Collective Bargaining Act and the Master Collective Agreement. FFAW President uh, Greg Pretty spoke on the matter on VOCM Open Line with Patty Daly this morning. With the arbitrator's ruling, is that the yeah. ruling is that you will have to pay damages. But I guess inside the news story itself, I can't remember reading it word for word, but it also says you have the ability to appeal. 
Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, but just before I came on, you said we got to, I think the words you use are we got to pay. Well, we don't. And uh, that's why it's important uh, to clarify that. So there were two steps to the arbitration. And one was whether or not uh, the FFAW caused a cessation of business with ASP. So that's been determined. The arbitrator's done that. I don't think we're going to appeal that uh, because, you know, we have a right to represent workers and, and advocate on their behalf. So uh, so we move on to the second step. And, Patty, the second step is actually more important because the arbitrator in that uh, circumstance will determine whether or not uh, we are responsible whether or not there are causation issues, mitigation issues, and even if there's money to be paid out. So that hasn't been determined yet. Uh, so that's something that will happen in the future. I will say uh, to you, and let's be very clear on this, uh, they have to determine that in the next step that there's a loss here. And to that end, we have, we're on record as, we're going to subpoena the records from, uh, from the uh, crab companies over five years, production figures, uh, production form, costs related, individual sales, sales contracts, quotes, that type of thing will also be part of that next step. So it's not cut and dried as some people would think. So we will move on to the next process. Yeah, nothing ever is. So just for clarification, did you say that, you know, besides the fact that we haven't even seen demonstrated losses, given the fact that the vast majority of the tax was landed, so I don't know where the losses lie there, but did you say you will not be paying damage? I just, just want to make sure. I oh, no, I didn't know. I didn't say that. No, no. I, I think there was a reference there to an appeal. Uh, and uh, and uh, I don't think at this point in time, anyway, we won't be appealing the decision of the arbitrator. I think that's the point I was trying to make. Okay. So does that mean, like, is there a timeline for the availability of an appeal? Because oh, I don't know how long it's going to take for the demonstration of losses to come up with a number that's going to be considered by whether it be another arbitrator and or Mr. Orsborne and or your group or Jeff Loader. So you're not going to appeal even if they say, well, the damages are a million dollars. Oh, no, but that hasn't been determined. That's the point. So you're just going to uh, wait until there's a number. Okay, let's, let's back it up a little bit. Okay. The first part of the arbitration is over, so the decision made on cessation. The second part will deal with quantum. If, in fact, there's a liability, if, in fact, there's a cause, mitigation issues, they'll determine how much, if any, uh, the companies are out of pocket and should be paid. So that's a completely separate arena than what we've just gone through. Right, so until there's a, an actual dollar figure associated, yeah. fair enough. Why would anybody consider moving anything until we know what we're actually talking about? But exactly. insofar yeah. as the ruling, because there's the possibility, unless the new price-setting scheme works for all hands, there's a possibility that something like the last last year's uh, six-week tie-up could be replicated. So inside of that important part of the ruling, that's saying that there was a violation of the terms of the agreement of the Fishing Industry Collective Bargaining Act. Is that and that alone enough to put forward an appeal? Because now that we've been told via this ruling that it does violate the terms of the act, is that not an appealable piece in and of itself? Well, our perspective would be a little different from that uh, in as much as the legislation, as I said last year, uh, many times, the FOS system didn't work, doesn't work for harvesters, didn't work in 2023, and nobody wants to repeat that, nobody wants to go uh, and do that again. Nope. So, But there is a reflection here upon the legislation itself. And if, in fact... Uh, the legislation handcuffs a particular union 
uh, us in particular, uh, from uh, advocating on behalf of our members, then that legislation is faulty. And that has to be reviewed. That, that's our opinion. That has to be reviewed to reflect that uh, people in this process have a right, for example, to not fish if, in fact, uh, they determine that uh, it's, the prices are unsuitable. So I think the, the legislation has to do that, and unions in particular can't be handcuffed from advocating, in particular prior to a tie-up or after a tie-up. So those lines have to be uh, cleared, uh, and, and the rules of engagement have to be cleared. Uh, so that, that's our perspective on it. Uh, it's the thing's about 17 years old now, and I think it needs a review based on, on uh, well, certainly based on the the, uh, the arbitration decision. But moving forward, to have a clear way uh, for both parties, both for the companies and and harvesters. That's FFAW President uh, Greg Pretty speaking with Patty Daly this morning. Well, St. John's Mayor Danny Breen weighed in yesterday on the possibility that new St. Clair's won't be built on the old Grace Hospital site, as many had assumed. Minister John Abbott last week told reporters that the site isn't big enough for the new facility, and they're currently assessing another possible uh, other possible sites in the capital city area. In the meantime, uh, Breen provided an update on a couple of other matters uh, before St. John's City Council yesterday. We launched a new public engagement uh, to inform the development of a new crime and violence prevention strategy. Uh, this is uh, to advance the work that's, uh, that was made possible through funding from Public Safety Canada's Building Safer, Safer Communities Fund. Primary focus is to address the social determinants of violence and crime, particularly for children, youth, young adults, and their families. Uh, while the city doesn't provide direct services or programs related to public safety or crime prevention, it acts as an important facilitator in developing long-term strategic plans and concrete initiatives to improve community safety. So safety in the community and safety in public is, a, is an issue that's uh, top of mind right now, so I would encourage the public uh, to participate in the engagement opportunities that are there and uh, to assist us ourselves and our community organizations in, uh, in developing our plans uh, as we move forward. We also today released the 2023 Economic Review and to capsulize it, the population grew, retail sales increased, unemployment is down, household income is up, and the St. John's economy is expected to return to a growth in 2024. We had marginal growth uh, last year, uh, but with the uh, uh, increased activities, particularly in the area West White Rose uh, project, uh, we should see growth increase. Uh, in 2024. Um, if you look at our population, uh, the CMA, the, the census, census metropolitan area, uh, grew from 220, sorry, grew to 223,667, a 2.1 increase from 2022. Household income was up, uh, retail sales were also increased. And uh, if, if you look at the economy and what we expect in 2024 with the increased activity, uh, depending what happens with interest rates, 
uh, we should see uh, further further growth if interest rates continue or if the Bank of Canada continues to bring interest rates down, we should see increased economic activity from that. So uh, I think there's some positive news in here. You can check it out on the website uh, to, uh, to determine what um, um, to, to have a look at that in, in further detail. And that is uh, St. John's Mayor Danny Breen um, at uh, St. John's City Council yesterday. We have uh, an update on a pooch. What's going on, Claudette? So I'm, I'm just talking to a gentleman right now. We're going back and forth there. So um, a, a dog, a husky, he thinks, um, was running loose on I mean, I'm not sure what road I'm, I'm gonna have to just chat with them but it's on the on the road and the police were were there trying to get the husky and you know away from the the road right and the police couldn't do it but I think the gentleman ended up getting this dog into his car and it just happened so now he's in his car with a gigantic dog <laughs> And he doesn't know who, who owns, owns it. it. And we don't know where this uh, man is located right now? I think he probably just told me, and I th I'm thinking it's Columbus Drive. All right. But I'm just going to double check. So I do have his uh, number if anyone uh, owns this particular dog. Now, I just happen to quickly go on uh, NL Missing Pets. Uh -huh. And I'm thinking, it, I'm wondering if it's Bruno because there's a lost Alaskan Malamute that's Oh, that sounds old. like it could match the dog. Yep. And near Empire Avenue. So I'm going to have to see if we can do some mass matchmaking there. All right. Well, keep us up to date. And if anybody <laughs> is missing a dog... And um, you have the number for this gentleman. Oh, yes, I do. And the dog was wearing a green collar, a green and black plaid collar. Okay. All right. I appreciate that, uh, Claudette. Thanks very much, and we'll uh, keep you all up to date on that. And I uh, just want to wish a happy birthday to Nina Simone, uh, one of the uh, most... Ah, powerful uh, political commentators of the civil rights movement, a talented musician, of course. And if you uh, ever want um, an example of that, uh, just uh, search out Mississippi. I'm not sure if I can say the name on the air, but Mississippi GD, basically. And you want to hear uh, rage uh, in regards to um, uh, some of the uh, horrific events in the United States during the civil rights movement, have a listen to that. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great day. Bye-bye for now.